Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. lesson is from John chapter 6 verse 35 and verses 41 through 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh." This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We are reading from Ephesians 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. So that is chapter 4, 25 through chapter 5, 2. Listen for the word of the Lord. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. 
Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever had a moment where you kind of blurted all over somebody that maybe was a little strong, maybe a little harsh? There's a story about a a man named Bob who got upset with his dry cleaner. He went and they had an argument and he kind of exploded and then left. So he goes home and about a week later, he realized that he had left a red pen in his white button-down dress shirt without the cap. So it had bled that lovely red and that dark in the middle. They tried to wash it, but they couldn't get it out. And his wife says, you know what? I'll take it to the dry cleaner. He said, okay, why don't you take it to the dry cleaner? So the wife goes to the dry cleaner and, you know, when you get there, kind of pull up what's your name, pulls up their account and says, are are you Bob's wife? She says, yes. Mm Mm-hmm, says the man. So he picks up his shirt and he looks at it, looking again at this blood red, big stain on the pocket. Very slyly and quietly, he says, good shot. (laughs) Paul is giving us instruction today about how to be a community, about how to live with others who might be different, and because they're different. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, kind of the big picture of that is that Paul went to Ephesus on his first missionary journey, spent a few months, got the church established, then came back on his second missionary journey and stayed about three years. We think the book was written in Rome around 64 A.D., And one of the things they were dealing with was unity in their congregation. There were a lot of Jews and Gentiles that were coming together, different backgrounds, formerly different beliefs, seeking to be united in Christ. But we all know that that's easier said than done. If that was as easy as we always think it is, there wouldn't be thousands of Christian branches, denominations, and churches. So they're trying to find a way forward. Paul's trying to help them with their unity and giving us directly. Not a whole lot of interpretation needed here. It's not cloaked. It's not veiled. Paul puts it out there. He's already said prior in this chapter, live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given. 
Meaning that because Christ is our Savior, because we seek and claim to follow, that there's some responsibility on our end. We're not just receivers of God's love, grace, and mercy. There is some expectation on our side. So Paul continues after that familiar phrase, live the life worthy of your calling, and moves into specifics here. And one of the first things he says that carries all the way out is that we are members of one another. Members of one another. Whether you see that as just in our church or you see it in our community, in the world, which I believe it applies to, that's what this calling is about. Members of one another. It doesn't say members with somebody in this group. It doesn't say members of that group or this group or our groups together or this one group. Members of one another. That is huge, broad-based, and a tremendous call for us. To be part of other people is risky and scary and sometimes challenging. Sometimes we don't want other people to be a part of whatever we're a part of. That old joke about showing up someplace and you question the fact that they let you in is some indicator that maybe that's not the group you want to be a part of. A lot of times there are other people that we rather not have in our boat as we are moving through life together. There are people who are different than us who we might not know but may have some fear of that maybe it's just all better and safe to say, let's keep them out of our boat and let's just keep cruising with our folks, our people. And Paul is saying, no, we got to work harder than that. God created us the way that we are. God created this world the way that it is. God created every human being in it whether they look like us, sound like us, think like us, believe like us or not, every living human being is a child of God in this world, whether they know it or not. God is our creator. God is our parent, which makes us all family, makes us all brothers and sisters. Yay, we join hands and sing kumbaya. But we know how hard that is to put that into play, to make that happen in a significant way. And so here, Paul gives us a list of don't do these things and a list of things to do. Don't let yourself be overtaken with bitterness. Anger is okay to a point until the point where it becomes sin and you start to hurt others or yourself because of your anger. Otherwise, anger is an emotion. Jesus got angry. It's not sinful in and of itself, just with many things, what we choose to do with it. Wrath, scorn, all of those things, don't let those take you over. But rather, then gives us the opposite list, be kind-hearted, 
forgive people, the big, be careful how I say this, the big as, forgive others, God as, forgive me as I have forgiven others. We say that in the Lord's Prayer, a bold statement every time we say it. We're saying, God, don't forgive me unless I'm forgiving everyone else. It's not forgive me and forgive those who sin against me. It's forgive me as I forgive them. Oh, be careful what we say. And Paul says, your words may be the only means of grace that people hear, those with ears to hear. Your words. We know that words are neutral in and of themselves, but like any, like many things, can be used to harm or used to uplift and inspire. We know all too commonly the fallout and impact of words that hurt. We live in a society where that drives a lot of interest, sells time, can be the basis of votes. Quickest way to stir up a lot of people is to throw out some words that you know are going to explode once people hear them and think about them. But words also are at the core of our relationship with one another. It's the way we use words to say, I love you. To say, we are members of one another. Jesus himself was the word. Prologue of John tells us that. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And we see that word as being Christ. The word made flesh. The word made flesh. Words are powerful, and we all mess it up. We've all hurt others in anger with our words, and we've all been hurt by others' words, just a part of living with people. And Paul is saying to this community, we're early in this Ephesians conversation. He talks about don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's kind of interesting. Don't hurt one another and grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't get the Holy Spirit upset with you because you are treating other people in negative and destructive ways. Because the Spirit was a seal on your heart. That's what the passage says. We see that as baptism. So a lot of these new Ephesians would have been baptized. We see the Spirit as being a part of baptism and present. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grieves, therefore, when we act like idiots, when we hurt one another, when we retaliate in wrath and vengeance and bitterness, when another tack would work much better. Church is all about relationships. And relationships, again, are both inspiring and challenging. So Paul gives it to us. He says, you need to do these things, not just to be nice, not just as a goal, but because it's a mark of 
your baptism. It's a mark of you being a Christian in the world. People need to see these things. We've been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ through baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, God loves you just as much. But that's our language here. So to be a disciple, to claim Christianity, is to claim that we are seeking to live as Paul is laying out. A few weeks ago, Lawrence Christian, member of this church family, was at the men's prayer breakfast Thursday morning, 7.15, y'all come. And he was sharing some of his journey and just he's retiring from the army and moving into civilian life in that process. And he was telling us some things about that transition and said something that just kind of stuck out to me. He said, everybody that joins the army is immediately considered a leader. Immediately. Wherever you are in your training, there are expectations of you from day one when you sign up to be in the army. It's not that out of every group of incoming young recruits, that one or two will be good leaders out of a, a group of 10. The other 10 will go to a few things, but not everything. They'll let the others do most of the work and they'll call themselves army. That wouldn't work, it sounds ridiculous, right? But it's what we do in church, it's what we do. Where do you go to church? Do you believe in Christ? I do go to First Presbyterian. And yet we know those statistics that are true across all of Christendom. It may be interfaith as well, that the committed few do the most of the work in a church. But when we decide to follow Christ, it should be that same understanding. When you join a church, when you uh, are baptized, when you come to faith and come to Christ, we are leaders immediately and disciples immediately. What if those first 12 disciples, you know, let's say three of them said, oh, we're going to do this. I've got plans for this. They put their committees together because that's where it started, of course. We're Presbyterians. We're committee people. Uh, but the other nine said, Okay, I'll, I'll come when you get it set up. I'll bring my casserole. Uh-huh. Do my thing here, do my thing there, and let you three handle it. And then the other three went home. Or what if more than that, they had seen the resurrection of Christ, which we firmly believe they did, or they wouldn't have done what they did after to start these churches. What if they said, man, that was an incredible encounter with Christ. Do you believe it? We saw him. We touched him. He ate in front of us. He talked to us. He appeared to hundreds of people in that time from the resurrection to the time he ascended. Amazing. I'm going back home, and I'm going back to being a fisherman. And I'm going to tell people when they ask, or I'm in a safe setting, 
Sometimes about that, I might tell people about that, that Christ was raised and I saw him and all this is true. I had a great conversion experience, Peter might have said, and I will always hold that in my heart. Treasure. Goes back to fishing, goes back to his life and family, never says another word or maybe every once in a while might share it with somebody. Where would we be? We wouldn't. I don't think we'd be here or it wouldn't be us. Christianity would not have soldiered on from that point. But it is exactly because those disciples saw the power that was given them from the Holy Spirit, because they were stirred, their passion was engaged, their gifts given, that they had little choice but to go out and tell people what they had seen. We saw him. He spoke to us. The resurrection is real. Can you believe it? Let me tell you about this guy and what he is telling us and how we are to be his followers moving forward. He's alive. He's with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And yet, I think often that's how we react. Even those that have had amazing God encounters, we don't want to be those weird Jesus freaks that are always out there. Have you been saved? Have you been saved? Have you been saved? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you know the Jesus? You want to know about Jesus? Gotten such a bad rap in the culture as Christians so polarizing depending on who you're talking to. You even say the word Jesus and people could blow up. Oh my gosh, I know you people. You're way too inclusive or you're not inclusive enough. You follow, you don't follow scripture. You know, the, you don't know. You know how we do. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to stop or not try. Matter of fact, we are called to do more than just be a member of a church family because baptism and membership means we're a part of a larger family, members of one another. And that's hard work. That means we have to step out of our comfort zones but not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because we are Christians, because we have been baptized, there are expectations on us. Keep yourself safe, but at the same time, we are to go to those who are different than us, who we might even fear to build relationship. Why? Because they are children of God as well, whether they know it or not. So I encourage the 845 service. I did three with them. I'll, I'll just do one with you. This week, enlarge your circle of contacts. That means not just somebody to have a quick interaction with, but somebody you might be able to call on again and again or take to lunch or let them take you to lunch or have a cup of coffee or have some conversation with who might look different, who might sound different, who might be from a different background, a different religion, 
a different political party. Oh, I just went from preaching to meddling. I know it. And when we can enlarge our circles, our community into and with these folks that we think are different than us, and and not that we may not have malice or fear against them, it's just that we don't generally travel in the same circles. It's time to open up those circles. So find this week one person outside that you may not normally have contact with that the world might judge as being different than you. And I want to hear about it. And we are called to employ these things that Paul's laying out for us to step out of our comfort zones and to do things we haven't done before for Christ. Darius Rucker, formerly of Hootie and the Blowfish, great band in the 90s, a lot of great music. Might even be a new album coming. Well, he separated and for the last couple of decades went to country music, has had a great solo career. Last year came out with a song uh, in 17 called When Was the Last Time? And the chorus says, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Let's think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you did something for the first time? And to him... I read a little bit about why he wrote the song. He said, we can get so stuck in our daily life, we forget to try new things. We can insulate ourselves from the rest of the world and forget to try to step out and have these great experiences. And so I ask you the same question about our faith. When was the last time you did something for the first time for Christ, for the church, or for somebody who might be different than you? Because really all of that is one. When was the last time you did something for the first time? If we are to grow in faith, if we are to continue in our journey of getting closer to Christ, closer to one another, then it means we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep stepping out and trying new things. Maybe that's some different ways to pray. Maybe that's a new group to read scripture with. Maybe that's a new place for you to plug in and serve as far as outreach and missions. Maybe it's inviting somebody to come to church. I'm going to lift up two, a couple of people, three in this congregation, and I didn't ask them first, and so they're going to be embarrassed, so I'm sorry. But it's not embarrassing, it's affirming you. So I know that Dick Olson and Lib Greer, I know Charlotte, work with our prison ministry, one of our prison ministries. They leave their comfortable, happy lives, and they voluntarily go and allow themselves to be locked up with prisoners, criminals. Bam! Door closes behind you. I know that feeling. I've been there. And they work with prisoners for, to help them with literacy, to help them. I was at several meetings last week, and I heard both of them share a little bit about it. That's why it's on my mind. Lib even was disappointed because one of the students she was working with uh, 
paid his, his time and, and was sent, sent home. And she was disappointed she couldn't work with him anymore. You're getting out, come on. But that's exactly what we're looking for. That can very easily be deemed a scary place. People who are different than we are. A scary environment that forces us to have a little courage just to walk in the door. And yet to hear them talk about the benefits of that, the reward in the relationship, that's exactly what Paul is calling us to do. With that spirit of boldness we've been given, we, we become too easily passive in our lives with our faith, with our gifts from God, and this is a call to wake up and to step out. One more quick story. Tony Campolo uh, is an author, a pastor, uh, a professor, writes all kinds of books. I'm reading a book that he wrote called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And the very first story is this. He was on his way. He went to Hawaii for a conference. So he gets there. It's the middle of the night. He can't sleep and he's hungry. So at 3.30 a.m., he goes outside of his hotel and he looks around. And he sees one greasy spoon diner that's open. He goes in. He's the only one there. Talks about the big, fat, greasy guy behind the counter. Says, uh, a cup of coffee and a donut, please. All right, buddy. Said he would have appreciated him using tongs, but he didn't. Pulled a donut up, smacks it down, give it to him. So he's there, 3.30 a.m., eating a donut, having some coffee in Hawaii. When the door opens up and eight or nine, as he says, boisterous prostitutes come in the diner. They sit on either side of him, and one starts talking to the other one. And one says, well, been, been a crazy night, and uh, tomorrow's my birthday. So, and the other one says, what, tomorrow's your birthday? Well, what do you want from me? You want me to give you a cake? You want me to have a party? And the first one says, no, why do you have to be so mean? I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just letting you know. You don't have to do anything for me. No one's ever given me a birthday party. I don't need one now. Light goes off in Tony Campolo's head. So after they leave, he asks, Harry is the guy behind the counter. Harry, do those ladies come in here every night? Every night. He says, I just got an idea. What if tomorrow night we give that girl who said she's never had a birthday party a birthday party? And he kind of thinks about it. He gets a big grin and calls his wife from the back. Honey, this guy wants to give Agnes a birthday party. It's her birthday tomorrow. And the wife says, that is a great idea. She's such a kind-hearted person. Nobody ever does anything nice for her. So the next he says, I'll come back at 2.30. I'll get the cray paper. I'll even get the cake. He says, nobody, I got it. That's my department. So Campolo comes back the next night, 2.30, decorates the whole diner. Cray paper, balloons, Harry, the owner, makes the cake. And he says, the wife must have gotten around because he says by 3.15 a.m., every prostitute in Honolulu was in that diner. 
So 3.30 right on the nose. Agnes and her friend come in. Campolo had gotten them all ready to scream happy birthday and surprise and said he had never seen a more flabbergasted, surprised, or overwhelmed person. Said her friend had to hold her by the arm and move her to the countertop. And Harry comes out with a cake. Come on, Agnes, happy birthday. You got to blow out the candles. And she started crying. She says, Agnes, you got to blow. I'll do it if you don't, if you can't do it. Yeah, go ahead and you do it. Blows out the candle. Says, okay, you got to cut the cake because I want some cake. So she takes the, the server and getting ready to cut. And she says, Harry, can I, can I just wait a minute? Can I not cut this cake for a minute? She's just kind of staring at it like it was the Holy Grail. And Harry says, you don't have to cut it. You can take it home if you want. She said, can I? I just live a few doors down. She picks it up and walks out with it. And so now Campolo looks around. <laughs> He's in a diner full of prostitutes and he, with he, the pastor. And he says, what do you say we pray together? And so they pray. He prays for Agnes, for her to have a better life, for God to help her get on her feet, for God to bless her birthday. After he says amen, Harry, the guy that owns the diner, says, I didn't know you were a preacher. You didn't tell me that. He said, what kind of church are you a part of? And Campola says, the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. Harry says, no, there aren't any of those. If there was, I would join a church like that. And Campola says, that is the church Jesus Christ is calling us to be. We are to step out of our comfort zone. We are to step out and make connections and relationships with those that we think are different. It is what this journey is all about. Let us with boldness and faith and courage remember that we are Christians and that means we are leaders and we are going to go out and share this good news. Hallelujah. Amen.